how you respond to certain situations is important. How you respond to a fire in your house is important, right? How you respond if you're driving to someone pulling out in front of you uh, is, is important, right? Besides the yelling and hand gestures, you're right, like there might be, you need to hit the brakes, you know, you need to swerve out of the way, right? How you respond to emergencies is important. How you respond to your spouses is important, okay? Now, for some of us, it may be something new that we're learning. <laughs> but how you respond to your spouses is important, right? I, I saw a shirt that said, it kind of described me pretty well. It says, sarcasm, how I hug, <laughs> I, I tend to respond to most situations with sarcasm, uh, and, and to be honest with you, it's not always the best way to respond, right? Uh, sarcasm isn't always the best w- way to respond, and there is a line with sarcasm, and with my wife, Suzanne, um, most of the time I find that line when I've blown past it, <laughs> right? And then comes the looks and the heated discussion afterwards, right? It's all fun and games until it's not. But how we respond to things is important. It's important. Well, today we're going to see Peter's first message about who Jesus is and what he did. And we're going to see how different people responded to the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. And then we're going to ask the question, how then should we respond to who Jesus is and what he's done? We've been doing a kind of a quick study of the first couple chapters of the book of Acts, kind of leading up to next Sunday, which is Pentecost Sunday, a Sunday that we're actually going to look at today here in Acts chapter 2. We have been seeing how God started a movement that is the church, and that movement starts here in Acts chapter 2, but that movement continues even to this day, and we are a part of that movement. But this movement begins here in Acts. So if you have your Bibles... If you would turn with me over to the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 2, and we'll start there in verse 1 when we get to it. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table we'd love to give you as a gift uh, from us. Please take one before you leave today. Uh, Just take it. It's free. Take it as a gift from us. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. Uh, Acts chapter 2, if you're looking for Acts, it's the fifth book of the New Testament. It's on the right side of your Bible. It comes right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. If you get to Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you've gone too far, go back the other way. Right, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Just to kind of recap, we have seen that the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation, right? His resurrection is the reason for everything that we do as followers of Jesus. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then there is no hope for us. There is no forgiveness of our sins. There is no reason for us to change our living and our thinking and our speaking. And last week we saw that we too, just like these early followers of Jesus, are called to be witnesses of Jesus in the places that we go. We are called to be his witnesses in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our community, in our work, at our schools, in the places that we are, even to the ends of the earth. We are to be witnesses of Jesus. This is the mission of the church. It was the mission then, and it's still the mission that we have today, to go out and to tell other people about Jesus. So we saw last week that the apostles knew that they needed to replace Judas as one of the apostles. And so after casting lots, they added Matthias to the 11. And then they listened to what Jesus told them to do. He told them to wait around until the Holy Spirit came to Jerusalem. 
And so from 50 days past Passover, they waited in Jerusalem and waited for the day of Pentecost to come and something amazing took place. So read along with me in Acts chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's pause there for just a moment. There's a lot to take in. So these 12 guys, these 12 apostles, they were gathering, most likely in the upper room, the same upper room that they'd been in for the last couple of months, um, hanging out in, praying in, devoting their time in prayer, uh, waiting for this promised Holy Spirit that God, uh, that Jesus had promised to them. And so the day of Pentecost comes, and the, the word Pentecost simply means 50, because it was a festival that takes place 50 days after Passover. Uh, Pentecost was one of three festivals that all Jews were required, all Israelites were required to, to go back to Jerusalem and to celebrate Passover being one of them, which is when Jesus was crucified, Pentecost being the second, and then in the fall, there was the, the, fe- the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents that they were to return to Jerusalem uh, and celebrate. So Pentecost is another day, that another weekend that, that many people from all over the world would return to Jerusalem to celebrate this, this feast every single year. And so as they were there, this feast is taking place, God sends this noise like a violent rushing wind, and he sends these tongues of fire down onto these 12 apostles, and the noise and the light, as we're going to see, it drew the attention of the people who had come to Jerusalem. It drew the attention of the crowds. And it also would serve for them as a sign to what they were getting ready to hear was from God. I grew up uh, in Elizabeth City, not too far from here. And uh, on the water tower near town by my house, I grew up about three blocks from it. There was a, I don't know if it was a tornado siren or just an emergency siren, but every single day at 12 o'clock, that siren would go off. And if you were outside, it would make your heart jump and and skip a beat. And you're like, oh, what what in the world is going on, right? I don't know what would happen if there was an actual emergency that happened at 12 o'clock because um, everybody would be like, oh, it's just 12 o'clock and the siren's going off, you know, but, but it got everyone's attention, right? No matter what you were doing, you would stop and you say, oh, what, what do I need to, I need to pay attention to what's going on, right? And that's exactly what happened here in Acts chapter two. God sends this violent rushing wind and these flaming tongues that came down and it got people's attention. But Jesus, he had told his apostles and his disciples that this stuff would take place. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And those and, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and they will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them at all. And they will place uh, their hands on sick people and they will get well. And, and what's crazy is, In the book of Acts, we see all of these things taking place, right? These things served as signs to these apostles and the people that the apostles would lay hands on 
It served as signs, as testimonies to, to prove what they were getting ready to say about Jesus was true. And often we see that in the book of Acts, right? We see Peter healing people and it got everybody's attention. They said, hey, what's going on? He says, hey, let me tell you about the guy whose name we healed this man in. And they tell him about Jesus, even though that meant they were arrested. And we see all these amazing things that, that these followers of Jesus were doing in the name of Jesus. And it got everyone's attention so that they could tell them about Jesus. And they also gave them as proof to show that what they were saying was from God. Jesus told them that it was going to happen. So did John the Baptist. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he is coming after me, is mightier than I, am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus and John, they all were pointing to what was going to happen in Acts chapter 2 and beyond. And even in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel promised that this was going to happen. And even though it got everyone's attention, people still responded in different ways. Look at verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Remember, they were there for this feast of Pentecost. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elimelites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Figra, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. I want you to notice here, just a side note, that all the languages that these guys were speaking were known languages, Right? All these people had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, but they had come from all these different places, and they all had this different native language that they spoke. And what was amazing was that these 12 apostles were speaking all these different languages, and they were looking at these guys, and they said, hey, wait a minute, these guys are from Galilee. Man, they're uneducated and ordinary dudes. How in the world are they speaking all of these languages, right? They were amazed at what was taking place. Now, even with some of the amazing signs that were taking place, I want you also to notice the people still rejected it, didn't they? Even with all these signs and these wonders that were taking place, there were people who said, man, these guys are just drunk. This is crazy. I'm out. And so they mocked and they walked away. Friends, I want you to take note of this because nothing's changed today. Anytime that Jesus is shared and presented with people, some people will respond with mocking and walking away and they'll be unchanged. But others, as we're going to see, will respond with faith that will lead to salvation. But you and I have no control over how people will respond. Last week, we shared that it's our responsibility to be witnesses of Jesus in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the places that we go. That's our responsibility. But we have no power or authority to make somebody else believe. We have no power, no authority to change somebody else's heart. All we can do is what we are responsible to do. 
to share the good news of Jesus. And yet, still, some will reject and walk away, but others will accept and follow Jesus. Jim Putman talks about the same idea in his book, uh, Real Life Discipleship. He says, we can't do God's part. We can't do the other person's part. We can only do our part. So Peter, he stands up to address some of their concerns of the crowd. He gets their attention and he addresses them. Look at verse 14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And then he goes on to share the prophet Joel and what he says about this. So Peter says, look, we're not drunk yet. It's only nine in the morning, okay? Maybe in the afternoon, maybe I'll be different, but right now we're not drunk, right? Let me tell you what's going on, okay? He says, let me explain this. And then he goes on to share with them how God had prophesied that all of this stuff would take place through the prophet Joel. Joel had prophesied that in the day in which everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved, that these signs and these wonders would take place. And so Peter then sums up Jesus' life and his death, which many of them who were gathered there in Jerusalem had seen. Many of them had, had maybe even been there 50 days earlier when Jesus was crucified, and maybe they even passed by him as they walked into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Many of them may have even heard or seen some of the miracles that Jesus had done. So, G, so Peter sums up Jesus' life, his teaching, and his death, which was very familiar to these people who were listening. But then Peter gives them some, some new information that they may not have known. Jesus not only died, but that he rose from the dead. And that God had intended for this to happen all along. In fact, David prophesies that it will. And so he shares David's prophecy. And then in verse 22, he says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourself know. So many of these people in the crowd, they knew about these signs and these wonders. They knew about Jesus. They knew about these things, right? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But then here comes the new information. And a side note here, anytime you see these two words together, watch out for what happens next. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then Peter goes on to share the prophecy that David had made years before Jesus ever lived. Now, not only had God raised Jesus back to life, but God had also made him Lord and Savior. And this would have been something that was, was new for these Israelites. You see, many of them had this idea and this concept of what the Messiah, what the one that would come to save the world would be and wouldn't be. They thought that the Messiah would come and establish an earthly political kingdom and would overthrow Rome and set Israel free. And so they were, would have been surprised to hear that God's plan for the Messiah was for him to die 
in their place. This would have been a surprise to them. And even many who followed Jesus and believed that he was Messiah, they were still expecting him to establish an earthly political kingdom. And in their thinking, his death would have been an end to the idea that that kingdom could be established. But then Peter finishes his message message in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God had not only raised Jesus to life, but he raised him to become the Lord and the Messiah. Now, those are probably two words that we don't use in our everyday language unless we're talking about who God is, right? Lord simply means somebody who is in charge. Somebody who's a Lord would be somebody who has other people under their authority. We might even think them as a boss, right? Uh, Or a master, okay? Jesus has been made Lord, not just of a small individual area, right? Or one department, (laughs) right? Jesus has been made Lord. He's been made the boss. He said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. God has raised him not only to life, but made him the boss of everything, the Lord of everything. And then he has also made him the Messiah. And that word Messiah is a Hebrew word, and it simply means the anointed one of God. You may also see a word called Christ associated with Jesus, and Christ is simply the Greek word for that same word Messiah. They both mean the same thing, an anointed one of God. And so the fact that Jesus not only has been raised from the dead, but that he is also Lord and Messiah, that he is the boss and the sent one of God, this truth is what the church is built on. It's this truth that this movement has started, that continues even this day. This is the truth that the Holy Spirit established God's kingdom on right here in Acts chapter 2. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's this truth that Peter was sharing with the Israelites. And now nothing has changed today. Today, we as the church, we as the kingdom of God, we as this movement that God has started that continues today is built on the same foundation of Jesus' resurrection and the fact that he is both Lord and Messiah. And just like now, or just like then, now, when people learn, and they see and they hear who Jesus is, some will mock and walk away, and yet others, like happened then, will be cut to the hearts, and they'll ask a simple but yet life-changing question. What should I do? Maybe this morning you're asking the same question. What should I do? I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. I believe that God has made him Lord and Messiah. So what should I do? Well, that's what the crowd who hadn't walked away, that's what they did. They asked that same question. Look at verse 37 of Acts 2. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these people, they were cut to the heart. They believed Peter's message, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was sent by God. 
that he did die and he no longer was dead, that he had risen from the dead and God had made him both Lord and Messiah and they were cut to the heart. And so they asked, Peter, what do we do? What do we do? We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So Peter, what do we do? And Peter responds with a deep theological explanation of how they should be saved. (laughs) No, he doesn't, does he? He just gives a simple response. He tells them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people responded to who Jesus is through faith, repenting of their sins and being baptized. They had their sins forgiven and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. That day, God established his kingdom on earth. That day, this movement began on the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again, on the truth that he is both Lord and Messiah and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, we through the years, especially us Christians, we we try to make it complicated. We, We ask questions about like, what about this and what of this? What ifs and what if that? What if this takes place and what if? this happens. And thankfully, none of us, including me, are the judge. Only God judges people's hearts and intentions and knows what they should do and not do. But I believe what we see in Scripture is just a simple response. And I believe that's the only response that we can share with people. That when people believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He's risen from the dead, they are to repent of their sins and they are to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter even told them that, hey, This truth isn't just for you today. This is for all who will come after you. He said that in the next verse. Look at verse 39. He says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Faith, repentance, baptism are lasting terms for the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ from this day on. So let's look at the rest of the book of Acts. Let's do a quick look at the rest of the book of Acts and see if other people, when they hear about Jesus, how they respond to who he is. And let's see if it's the same as what happened here on the day of Pentecost. We can start in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. We see here that Philip goes to the Samaritans. Remember, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, right? Acts chapter 8, Philip is starting to carry that out. He, He goes to Samaria and he begins sharing with them about the good news about Jesus. And even there's a guy there who practices evil magic. Simon the sorcerer, who he, uh, he even shares the gospel with him. And look at how they respond. It says, but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, what did they do? They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Simon was a dude who amazed people with his evil magic tricks. <laughs> he amazed them. And yet, he was convicted by the message of Jesus. 
And even Simon repented of his sins and was baptized. Even though he didn't have it all together. In fact, when Peter and some of the other apostles would come later and he was watching them laying hands on people and giving them these miraculous gifts, he, he pulls out some money and says, hey man, can I buy some of those gifts? I could really entertain a lot of people with that. And Peter says, put your money away. May it be destroyed with you and your money be destroyed. This is the work of God. This is not something that we do for money. And, and, and Simon immediately, when being held accountable by Peter, repents and says, Peter, pray for me that none of those things will happen to me. Because he didn't know. He was still learning, right? But he responded by believing and being baptized. And then later in the uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 35, we see that Philip goes to another guy. He's traveling down the road, and there's this guy named, uh, who's an Ethiopian, from, uh, or he's a, a eunuch from Ethiopia. And Philip comes alongside of him as he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he's reading about the suffering servant that the prophet was talking about. And, and, and Philip says, hey, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? He said, how can I? I don't have anybody to explain it to me. So Philip climbs up in the chariot with them. They ride along, and he starts right there, and he tells them about Jesus, that the prophet was not only talking about himself, but he was talking about the Messiah that would come, that he would suffer and die, and that man was Jesus. And so Philip shares Jesus with them, and I want you to see how the, the eunuch responds. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 8. It says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down the water, and Philip baptized him. So Philip started where this guy was and shared Jesus with him, the good news of Jesus. And how did the eunuch respond? He said, hey, there's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? And so he was baptized. And then we have Paul's story. It takes place in Acts chapter 9 for the first time, but then he retells it a couple of times. And we looked at that some last week in Acts chapter 22. And we saw that, that Paul was, was once known as Saul. In fact, he had dedicated his life to persecute followers of Jesus and the church. And he had had them arrested, both men and women. In fact, he was on his way to Damascus to do the same to have followers of Jesus put into prison. And Jesus comes to him on the road to Damascus and blinds him by the light and says, Paul, or says Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he tells Saul to, to go on to Damascus and go to Straight Street, find a guy named Ananias. Ananias shares with him the gospel of Jesus. And then I want you to listen to what Ananias tells Paul after not only sharing the gospel, but also giving some insight to Paul of what God had in store for him. He says this in Acts twenty two sixteen. He says, now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Excuse me, wash your sins away, calling on his, na on his name. I want you to notice here that Saul, Paul, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And yet, even though Jesus confronted him and called him out and blinded him by the light, that his sins still weren't forgiven yet. They weren't washed away yet. And I says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sins and call on his name. It wasn't until Paul responded to who Jesus is with repentance and baptism. Then we have Lydia in Acts chapter 16. When she heard the message of Jesus from Paul, she was baptized. And then an, another guy in Philippi, this jailer, 
who was put in charge of, of Paul and his other companions, when uh, suddenly in the middle of the night, all of their chains and the doors opened up, he thought everyone had escaped. And when he found out they hadn't, he ends up bringing Paul into his house. And Paul ends up sharing with him the good news of Jesus. And, and, and the, the jailer responds with, okay, Paul, what should I do now? And, and he and his whole household were baptized. And then there's the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18, verses 6 through 8. When they heard the message from Paul, they believed and were baptized. Are you guys seeing the simple response that we see in the book of Acts? When people hear about Jesus and believe what they do? No, let's keep going then, okay? We have the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. When they had only heard the message about John, they heard that John had pointed to somebody who was coming after, but they hadn't heard who that someone was yet until Paul comes to them and shares with them about Jesus. And upon hearing about Jesus, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then we have Cornelius and his household, whom Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, goes to, and he shares with them, much like he did here in the book of Acts, shares with them that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died and he rose again, that he no longer dead, is on this foundation that God was building his church, that he was killed, but he was no longer dead, that he was alive. And then they began to speak in tongues, just like they did here in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, as a sign that God was now opening up this way of salvation through Jesus, not just for the Israelites, but for all people, everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what race they are, no matter where they've been, all people can come to salvation through Jesus. And how do they respond? They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Every time in the book of Acts, when someone hears and believes in Jesus, they respond with repentance and baptism. Now, friends, we can have discussions and talk about the what-ifs and the questions. I, I love to sit down and talk with you through those, but what we see in Acts is when people hear the good news about Jesus, they respond. Some people respond with walking away, but others who respond that are cut to the heart through faith repent of their sins and they meet Jesus in baptism. So, friends, the question for us today is how then should we respond to Jesus? Will we mock and walk away? Or will we believe and receive? What are you waiting for? As Ananias said, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, He's talking about Noah and how God rescued Noah and his family through the flood, through the ark, and through their faith and their trust in who God is. And he says this, this water symbolizes baptism and now saves us also. He tells us nothing special about the water. He says it's not the removal of dirt from the body, but it's a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, baptism is not a work that we do. It's us accepting the work that Jesus has done for us. Baptism is where and when our sins are washed away, not because of anything that we've done, but simply because of what Jesus has already done for us through his death, his resurrection, his death and resurrection, his sacrifice. Baptism is when and where the Holy Spirit moves from working on us, convicting us of sin, to working in us. He takes up dwelling in us. 
I love what Carl Kuhl says in his book, Bloodstained Pews, about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness always has a cost. Sometimes people ask, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? That's why. Because forgiveness always has a cost. Because someone had to pay for our sins. We can or he can. And he chose to do it. Friends, maybe today you're saying, what what then should I do? What should I do? And maybe today you're ready to respond to who Jesus is and what he's done. I want to challenge you to put your faith in him, to repent of your sins, and then submit yourself and be baptized, joining with Jesus to have your sins washed away and have his Holy Spirit come and take dwelling in you, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you're ready to respond to Jesus today, I'm going to be out in the lobby. I would love to talk with you. I'd love to have that conversation with you today. If not, what's stopping you? The eunuch said, here's water. What's keeping me from being baptized, Philip? Philip said, nothing. (laughs) Let's go do it right now. So I say to you today too, what's stopping you? Let's go today. For those of us who already responded to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we have a job and a responsibility to be his witnesses in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. We are to be his witnesses starting right here in Washington and even to the ends of the earth. Let's go and let's help everyone, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, let's help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus as we have. Next Sunday, we're going to wrap up this series, and we're going to see how the resurrection of Jesus not only saves us, but it also changes us. It transforms everything that we are and everything that we do. This is how the movement began, but it continues even to this day. We pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can even respond to who your son is. Because that is only by your grace. We thank you that Jesus didn't just die and pay for our forgiveness, but, but Father, that he also rose to life again. And through the power of his resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, we too can be raised to life, even though we have earned death because of our sins So, Father, you tell us that everyone who will call on your name can be saved. Father, would you you lead people to call on your name today, to repent and be baptized today? Father, for those of us who already have, would would you equip us with courage and the words to go and to make known to our friends, our family, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to the people that are around us, would you give us the courage and the words to make known the good news of your Son? Because, Father, we know that we can't do your part. We can't do their part. All we can do is be faithful with the part you've entrusted to us. That's to be your witnesses. Would you help us to be your witnesses in the places that we'll go? Father, we thank you for this constant reminder of communion that you have given us as your followers. 
that helps, help us, helps us to keep in check our hearts, that gives us a regular time of repentance and confession to you, and that gives us a constant reminder of the sacrifice and the price that your son Jesus has paid for our forgiveness. So, Father, would you remind us this morning that we are forgiven, that we have been made new through your Son, Jesus. And we ask all of this in his name. Amen.